Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, April 18th, and today, Teddy Schleifer is here to talk about Larry Ellison, the billionaire founder of Oracle. How did he go from one of Bill Clinton's buddies back in the day to a big-time Donald Trump supporter now? And what influence will he have on Republican politics in 2024? And later on in the show, Julia Yaffe stops by to give us the latest on her specialty, Russia and Ukraine. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy hump day to the puckheads out there. Someone on Twitter said I should call the puck audience puckheads. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to stand. I'm joined today by Teddy Schleifer, who always has insight into the power brokers of Silicon Valley. Just generally like rich dudes, super rich dudes. A L- lot of puckheads out there, you know? Uh, glad, glad, <laughs> glad to be one. You wrote a piece about Larry Ellison and... I don't know why I didn't pay as much attention to him as a Republican donor. I realized this when I was reading your piece. Part of me like remembered him as a Bill Clinton guy. And so I just always assumed he was more of a liberal. Um, Right. How did he, how did he become like a big Trump donor? I mean, he's like giving money to Josh Hawley and Tim Scott now and love Donald Trump. Like what, when did that change? So there were, there were a couple of presidents in between, in between Bill Clinton uh, and Donald Trump. Just a few. Uh, One of them is Barack Obama, Larry Ellison, the founder of Oracle, sort of this like web 1.0 king, you know, sort of the foil for a lot of the 80s and 90s and 2000s to, to Bill Gates. Ellison is now pushing 80 years old and he's had a lot of time to stew about politics, to think about who he supports and who he doesn't. Ellison became sort of around the, around the mid-2000s, sort of obsessed with Israel as, as an issue that he cared about. And, you know, lots of uh, conservatives or, or moderates even found Obama to be sort of feckless on, on Israel. And Ellison, who discovered, met his mother late in life, who was born Jewish. Um, Ellison was adopted, basically, and raised by his aunt. Ellison just became obsessed with his Jewish heritage, and he found Obama to be weak on Israel. And he, over time, he slowly became more and more conservative to the point now where, you know, he is— 
you know, Peter, you called him a Trump donor. I, I suppose that's like a, a technicality here. You tell me. Like, is someone oh. who hosts a $6 million or $7 million fundraiser for Donald Trump at his estate, but doesn't technically donate to that person's campaign and doesn't attend the event, is that person a donor? That is a question that FEC, I guarantee you, will never answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yes, look, I mean, Ellison became a major Trump supporter in his twilight years uh, to, the, to the point that he was, you know, hosting events for Donald Trump, even if not technically a Trump donor. And I remember at the time when it happened, Peter, it was, you know, early 2020, I think it was just before COVID, when these invites came out that said, you know, Larry Ellison is inviting you to his estate. It like turned a lot of heads in Silicon Valley. You know, it just, it's just rare to see tech leaders, you know, in 2020 being outwardly pro-Trump. You would sometimes, you know, see anti-leftist sort of stuff, but, you know, he was toxic in the Valley and Ellison was willing to, you know, put his name on the invite, maybe not his name on the check, but his name on the invite. And I thought that was sort of a coming out moment for Ellison as a political figure. So when you mentioned that that put him on the outs in Silicon Valley and polite society, I mean, what sort of figure does he cut in that world? I mean, is he on the scene? Is he private? Like what's, what is his lifestyle? Oh yeah, but let's let's start let's start at the end there. Let's start with the, <laughs> let's start with the lifestyle. I mean, I mean honestly, Please. I mean that, that, that's probably what people most know Ellison for today. I mean, right? He's like you know, no one knows what Oracle does, some boring software company. Like no one cares, even though it's worth a gazillion dollars, right? Like Ellison is just a like figure who is primarily in the news for like extravagance, right? It's like Ellison in twenty I think thirteen like bought a Hawaiian island, the island of the Nai. Like that's like not something everyone does. He's a big like uh, yacht racer. He's always in the news whenever there's like a possible like sports franchise that can be bought. Ellison is primarily, you know, just like a spender. That has been his contribution to society, at least if you just kind of read the headlines about him. Now, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, that, that sells him short because obviously he created a, a massively valuable company, but it was just so long ago. Sometimes I wonder with Bill Gates, like whether or not today's generation even knows where Bill Gates made his money because he's just like just like a dude on TV. He's just a dude getting this like divorce. He's just like Bill Gates, the philanthropist. Like, do they do they even know what Microsoft is? With Ellison too, it's like this person who made their money a, a really long time ago. And the figure he cuts today is just been about like, oh, the dude who like bought Hawaiian Island. It's almost like a Silicon Valley stereotype. But now I'm wondering whether or not going forward, you know, he wants to be cut a figure for a more conventional reason, which is just being like a political, you know, poobah. And, and that's where, as he's approaching 80, you know, the guy just doesn't care about what people think about him, I guess, for better or for ill, unlike someone like Bill Gates, who very much, you know, wants to kind of tend to this reputation, tend to his profile, you know, he's very careful about his politics. I mean, Ellison just doesn't care and, and is willing to do things like host a fundraiser for Trump because he's almost so rich, so old, so like regal that he is able to hover above traditional Silicon Valley society. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. 
Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right. I found that on Etsy. It's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad Bed Cooling System is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleepsleep.me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. This is another reason why I might not have recalled him from the world of Republican politics, which is like Sheldon Adelson, Koch brothers, Foster Freeze. They like obviously raised a ton of money and had their pet candidates, but they built political organizations. Right. You know, they, with like field programs and mail and just invested a lot either in party building or in like outside groups. Does he have any intentions of doing anything like that? Does that exist in his orbit or no? I think the answer is no. I mean, he, he is someone who's pretty driven by, by individual candidates right now. So, I mean, he's put $25 million, which is an extraordinary amount of money, behind Tim Scott, who's someone who could 
potentially run in 2024. There's been some speculation about Trump choosing him as a running mate. Scott is someone who I think knows how good he's got it. And he's, you know, visited out to Lanai, the aforementioned uh, purchased Hawaiian <laughs> Island several times to meet with Ellison over the last couple of years. One of the fascinating things and, and rather telling kind of parts of, of donor world right now is you only kind of need one big supporter. I mean, this was like true with like yeah. Newt Gingrich and, and Shell Nadelson, you know, in 2012, but like- Foster and Rick Santorum. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, yeah. so $25 million, obviously there's, that still leaves 99.975, I think Ellison's net worth is 100 billion. So Scott needs to kind of cultivate that relationship. And yeah. Ellison, you know, he look, he might, he might not give to, you know, the Republican National Committee or to kind of individual- campaigns or, or super PACs that don't speak to him. Like he cares a lot about Tim Scott. Tim Scott is a hawk. Tim Scott, you know, is a more traditional Republican, not in the Trump mold. I mean, Ellison liked Romney in 12, Rubio in 16, like Scott fits in that mold. That extent makes him different than someone like Peter Thiel, who is kind of more of a influencer and, and is trying to kind of build a machine. Ellison is just kind of making these, these big checks and in individual candidates and is not necessarily interested in kind of a Coke sort of style operation. It sounds like he, unlike Peter Thiel, who feels like he can help remake the Republican Party in his libertarian worldview, Ellison feels a little more traditional yeah. uh, in terms of his political views. Like Tim Scott sort of embodies that. I mean, I, Tim Scott has obviously gone along the Trump train, but he is not from MAGA world. You know, he was a state legislator in South Carolina. I'm actually a sell on Tim Scott okay. running for president. Like if you're in the Senate, you get to be kind of chill and coast and speak out on your pet issues here and there. Not saying senators don't do a lot of work, but, you know, a few Republicans in South Carolina told me that Tim Scott is very content in the Senate, which doesn't mean he would, like, the <laughs> vice presidency would be great for him. Yeah, I mean, arguably as vice president, you don't, you don't have to do any work either. So it sounds, sounds great. <laughs> exactly. I've just never, like, detected out of him an ambition to <laughs> go all the way. That's just something I've heard from Republicans in South Carolina. You know, Peter, just, the reason why this is top of mind for me, and the reason why I want to write the story is, so, so Ellison is the uh, largest outside backer as of right now of the Twitter deal. And that was sort of the, the, the peg for me, was that Ellison's putting in a billion dollars into Elon Musk's, not political, but obviously like there's an element of politics, the Twitter deal where, you know, yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not seen as a conservative takeover. I think, you know, Elon today called it a moderate takeover. And so politics is, is, is a part of this. And, and Elon, to the, to the point about, is Ellison like a Peter Thiel sort of figure where he's trying to build out this machine? Like, it's hard for me to believe that Ellison does this deal if he doesn't agree with Elon fundamentally on like the, pol the political elements at play, especially given that Ellison is, you know, trending right as he's getting older. Ellison is very close with Elon. You know, this is not just obviously a, a there, there are other ways to make money when you're Larry Ellison. You know, a lot of kind of wealthy people are approaching the Elon bid as like a pseudo philanthropic, so a legacy building play. And then that's sort of why the Ellison uh, figure is so interesting to me because he's the largest backer of Elon. And the question is, why is he doing it? I don't believe it's primarily or exclusively because of his relationship with Elon. I think it has to do with the fact that he probably agrees with 99% of what Elon is saying about the platform being taken mm -hmm. over by the wokes or whatever Elon says. And that just to me shows that the Ellison influence more broadly, which is it's not just about politics. He's sort of part of this broader conservative movement to, to recapture media, to recapture society that the Elon Twitter bid sort of tip of the spear there. So 
Ellison is, you know, going to be a figure in conservative culture going forward. I mean, he's going to be a billion dollar stakeholder on Twitter. He's going to be a voice that's going to matter even based purely on that, even if you, even if he wasn't donating $25 million to Tim Scott. Yeah. And my health diagnosis from afar is that he's going to live to be 110. So yes. uh, <laughs> he'll be around for a Ellison while. Ellison <laughs> used to be a major supporter of life extension research. So oh. he's looking out for us. He, he just wants us to look as good as him. <laughs> I mean, I live in Venice, a few blocks from Erewhon, and I, like, I can't even come close to looking as ageless as Larry Ellison. All right, Teddy, thanks so much, man. You bet. Now let's take a quick minute to see what's going on with Julia Yaffe on her beat right now. Thanks, Peter. This week, when I was thinking about what to write in my newsletter, I realized that I myself was getting a little bit lost in the weeds of all the military stuff that is coming out of Ukraine. And I decided that, you know, if I was feeling that confusion and I was uh, in it all the time, then other people must probably share that too. So I decided to talk to some people both in Moscow and in Europe and in Washington about what was going on on the battlefield, because that will really dictate how things play out politically, both in Ukraine and in Russia and to some extent in Europe and the rest of the world. In talking to these people, I realized that there is both a lot of cause for optimism if you are in the camp that wants Russia to lose this war and Ukraine to win, but also a a lot of fodder for pessimism. In the former bucket, Russia's second offensive has stalled after the first offensive back in February and March ran aground. Russia has lost a tremendous amount of troops, a tremendous amount of weaponry, all things that would take Russia a long time to replace. Russia has also not called up all of its reservists, and it is fighting at a peacetime troop level, which is very hard to sustain, even though we're only three months into this war. And the Ukrainians, on the other hand, have more and more and more sophisticated Western weaponry coming in. They are mobilized, and they still have more people they could call up if they wanted. They're also extremely motivated to fight in a way that the Russian army is clearly not. And they feel like the momentum is now on their side. There were a lot of people who told me that they don't see how Russia can win this thing unless it really, really changes how it has approached the war. And even if it does kind of do some rearranging, it would still be very hard to pull off a victory. So that's the good news. The bad news is that this can still drag on for a very, very long time. As one source here in DC told me, this will go on as long as Russia wants it to go on. The source said Russia can drag this on for years if it wants to. That means that there will be a lot more casualties, more destroyed Ukrainian towns and cities. It also means millions of Ukrainian refugees who fled home being unable to come back for a long time, which might mean that in some of these places where they're taking shelter, Poland, Hungary, they might wear out their welcome because after all, these are some of the most xenophobic countries in Europe and they don't really like outsiders living within their borders. The other thing I heard from a lot of people is that 
The most realistic case is that neither side wins for a very, very long time. One of the Russians I spoke to who is a, a military expert and often appears on Kremlin TV and is this kind of staunch Putin patriot, he said, our goal is to destroy the Ukrainian military, to kind of, he said, перемолоть. And that means the best English word I could find for it is grind, like grind the Ukrainian military down. But to my ear, it sounds closer to like what uh, a garbage disposal or a wood chipper does. And that's what he says uh, Russia intends to do with Ukraine's military, just by keeping it engaged and fighting for months and months and months, or maybe even years. And because Ukraine has hardened in its position, very understandably, after the atrocities of Bucha, it's very hard for them to meet the objectives that they themselves have laid out. That victory for them would mean restoring Ukraine's borders to where they were on February 23rd. 2022, the day before Russia invaded. That's going to be very hard to do because it's one thing to defend territory, but it's another to go on the offensive and retake territory. As one of the people I spoke to put it, it's hard to look at where Ukraine is now with flattened cities and tens of thousands of civilians killed and destroyed hospitals and schools and a GDP that has shrunk by nearly half and say, this is a victory. Because there are no silver linings in war. War is horrible. And even when they end and there's a victory declared, there was still a war fought. If cities can be rebuilt, human lives cannot be rebuilt. That is one of the massive, massive tragedies that we're looking at. That even if Ukraine wins, it will be massively changed and massively traumatized country, even if it comes out stronger for it which is to say, don't start wars. Make love, not war, people. Please go to puck.news, where you can find my story called Putin's Wood Chipper. Also, you can and you should subscribe to my newsletter, Tomorrow Will Be Worse, which you can also find at puck.news. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 